Now, for the information of all hands. Okay, welcome to episode three of the 1MC with Master Chief Jason Vander Hayden. I'm your host, Chief Crystal Anine, and today our special guest is Rear Admiral Dana Thomas, our Director of Health, Safety, and Work Life. Thank you for joining us today, Admiral. Thank you for having me. So today our topic is health and well-being, the COVID vaccine, and we want to debunk some misconceptions so our workforce can ensure they're making the best decision possible for them and their families. Sound good? Thank you, Chief. All I right. appreciate it. Admiral, it is a real honor to have you here today. There is so much going on in the world of, of work life safety and health. You know, probably could have started with you and, and carried a, a couple episodes of the 1MC, but I'm so grateful for the time we have with you this morning. Just because things change so much, I'll tell you, we're, we're recording this on the morning of Friday, June 11th. You know, for, for the, all the listeners out there, if you're wondering what day uh, we actually recorded this. Doc, Admiral, both, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's really great to be here, and, and I think that this is a wonderful medium to reach our workforce. So I hope we can answer some questions and, and get after it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, they get to listen to this kind of when they're ready, and, and uh, I agree with you. I think this is awesome. So, wow, uh, you know, it's been a crazy year, lots going on, but I feel good that we're maybe kind of on the backside of this, working through the COVID-19 pandemic and, and trying to to uh, get back to a sense of normalcy, I, I, uh, I'm, you know, really impressed with the medical community and their ability to, to develop vaccines so quickly. I know, you, you know, as we talk about the vaccines, and that's what I'd like to ask you about at first, it seems like they were developed quickly, but in reality, I think the mRNA technology has actually been in developed quite a long time. And with the added money that the government kicked in, and then all the, you know, scientific community kind of getting behind it, and and pushing it, the quickness of it, the, the speed in which it was developed kind of is not necessarily quite so fast. It's been in development a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the vaccine? Sure. Well, I mean, what, what's really interesting here is that people recognized a highly contagious respiratory virus. This is one of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's like worst nightmares in the sense of you have something that's zoonotic, comes from another animal, contagious human-to-human -human spread, and they recognized right away, we're going to have to you know, pull out all the stops. And so our government, along with other governments, along with, like you said, scientists from all over the world, really put their heads together and found the best possible mechanisms to prevent disease. And the way we've prevented other life-threatening diseases and the way that we've overcome so much to enable our lifespan to be you know, twice of what it was 100 years ago was through vaccine. And this is where, you know, you don't want to suffer with a disease or with the virus that gets in your system and attacks whatever organ it wants. You know, yes, everyone's familiar with the pulmonary conditions, the lung aspect of this, but it, it affects your, it can affect your brain. It can affect your kidneys. It can affect your heart. And we don't want people to just, well, I'll get the disease and I'll get some natural immunity. Having the vaccine prevents all kinds of untoward outcomes. So the mRNA vaccines, we did an excellent um, presentation, and it's, it's on the internet, the, on the vaccine website, to, to really walk through what people's questions are about this. mRNA vaccines have just a handful of ingredients in them. They basically, when you get that shot in your, in your deltoid muscle, 
it's going to be absorbed by the cells locally, and it's going to tell those local cells, hey, make this small spike protein. Just these few cells that, that, that the vaccine gets into. The, those cells do that, but right after they start doing that, they do it just, just for a very short time they make this, your memory cells, your B cells, your T cells, your own immune system sees that. That's all it needs to know if I ever see that again, I'm recognizing it as foreign, like that's the bad guy, the bad actor, and I'm going after it. So it primes your system so that you're able to fight the infection from the onset of it the next time you see it. And that's really how vaccines work. So it, it's been, we'll use this technology, you'll see mRNA will be used now in the future because it's so much quicker to make this than it is to use eggs and make traditional influenza um, vaccinations. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for that amazing explanation. I, I uh, kind of, I would hear about the mRNA, but I didn't really understand how it worked. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, you know, the, the vaccine, would you, would you agree the vaccine is our way out of this pandemic? It's been a miracle. I mean, it came at the at the turn of the year. It was like a gift from the heavens. It has changed our lives. Where we are today, you feel relieved. Can you imagine how much relief I feel? <laughs> I yeah. feel tremendous relief that we are where we are. We, in this country, we have pressing into 60% of the folks have had at least one vaccination. Over 50 now, I think, have had a, you know, fully vaccinated. And you see the same amongst adolescents, the same trend. This is incredibly important because... We're seeing where we're protected because we've been vaccinated. Sadly, amongst communities that are unvaccinated, you see a similar rate of infection that you saw in February, in March, in April. Their numbers haven't come down. These pockets of unvaccinated people are still having disease thrive amongst them. Do you see this even internationally? I'll take England as an example. The Delta variant that, was, that came from India you know, is in is in the UK right now, and their cases have increased in the last two weeks by 23%. That's more of an increase than we've seen in Brazil. Wow. That's more of an increase than you saw in India. 60% of their population was vaccinated. However, comma, they took the vaccine that they had and they said, we're going to stretch it. We're going to give people one shot now and one shot in six months. Oh, wow. What we have seen now is that that Pfizer vaccine, which is 97% effective, and probably, you know, 90-something percent effective against this Delta variant is only 38 percent effective when you just have one dose. Oh, wow. So honestly, you know, we, when we say be fully vaccinated, it's because it's, you know, variants will come after us. The virus wants to keep living. It gets smarter. And we have to protect ourselves. Thank you. Uh, that's, uh, I, I agree. I'm encouraging. I, I've Resisted this in fact, but I am encouraging folks to get vaccinated. I, you know, you've heard it here. Uh, so it was a big deal when we released the message that if you were vaccinated, you no longer had to wear a mask to work. I can tell you, nobody hated wearing masks more than this guy. I, I absolutely uh, did not enjoy wearing a mask at all. So once we were able to, you know, that, you know, for the vaccine, what I heard a lot was, well, why, why do I want to get it? What does it do for me? And so once we were able to finally get out of the masks when we were vaccinated, that, that really helped, helped me sell the vaccine. Can you talk to us a little bit about why, you, you know, you, you don't have to wear a mask if you've been vaccinated, but you do if you're unvaccinated? Sure. Um, you know, and again, I know that the, the, the change seemed very sudden to people. 
And I think that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, what they were really looking at is you wanted to have the entire country have an opportunity to be vaccinated. You didn't want just your frontline workers or just your um, you know, people in nursing homes. You wanted the entire country to have had a chance to receive this vaccine before you said, okay, we can pull our masks off now if we're fully vaccinated. And we did have, we have study after study that basically shows these are so incredibly effective against developing infections that are going to be symptomatic or severe. Currently, you know, we see that, that people that are fully vaccinated, they're really protected even against asymptomatic infection. You know, they, they're exposed and they don't even get their, their bodies, the antibodies come out and they capture the virus in your nares. You never even get an infection. You won't titer positive. So I think that what we see here is Fully vaccinated people don't have to wear masks because they're, A, not at risk of becoming infected, and B, not at risk of becoming a transmitter. So that's why fully vaccinated people don't have to wear masks, because I'm not going to harbor it and give it to someone else. Unvaccinated people run the risk of both, becoming A, infected, and B, spreading it to other people. Yeah. So I, what I like to tell people is, I see the vaccine as PPE. It's PPE against the, the virus. So if you get your own PPE and you protect yourself, now I don't have to protect you. But if you don't get the vaccine, then I, ha- I, I, I wanna keep you safe, I care about you. So I need to put protections in place to make sure that you don't get sick, such as wearing a mask, watching where you, tra- you know, restricting your travel to places where there's high infection rates, things like that. So you can, pro- I tell people, I say, you can get the vaccine and protect yourself, or I'll put the protections in place for you to help help protect you. So thank you for that explanation on the masks. Well, I wanna mention that there are some examples of places where we still, wear masks. And that's, you know, the TSA has said this, that within transportation environments, you just don't know who's in and out of them. And so mask wearing for everyone will be the norm until we are not fighting this pandemic. And we'll be fighting this pandemic until the numbers are lower than they are right now, because we see that people unprotected anywhere, most of the world has not had the opportunity to be vaccinated, make it unsafe for people everywhere. In a, in a sense, not not intentionally, but they just can be harboring uh, the virus and travel. So we are really, you know, looking to ensure people within transportation settings are protected, and also people that have some immune compromising conditions, like maybe I've had a kidney transplant. We know that the vaccine's not going to work as well if you're on immunosuppressants. So it is part of what you would say. It's being a good neighbor. It's so others may live that you're not the person that transmits the virus to someone who won't be able to fight it. Right. And it's also very difficult to verify who's gotten the vaccine. You know, when you're in a mat, when you're in a large gathering, such as an airport or on an airplane, you know, if somebody asked me to show my vaccination card, I I might have it on me. I might not have it on me. So um, I understand on the transportation hubs and, and also in hospitals and places like that, you know, you don't, you want to take every precaution you can to keep everybody safe. So I, I understand that, you know, some folks have, concerns that, you know, I've seen some people that are vaccinated that still wear a mask. I think some people just got kind of accustomed to wearing a mask and they, they're having a hard time taking it off. Well, no, it's, it's true. And I think also think about this, that, that, you know, we have children under the age of 12 that aren't able to get vaccinated. People have various living circumstances where I could have a, a, a like a feeble uh, grandparent that lives with me. And I want to take every precaution not to bring something home. And even though I've said, you know, it's it could something could be 90% effective and you not becoming infected even asymptomatically 
you don't want to take the risk of being the person that brings something into your own household. So that's why within our, our own workspace, I mean, we're going to say, if you're more comfortable wearing a mask, if you are vaccinated, do so. Please do so. I mean, yeah. we don't want, we, we, there's no shame in, in mask wearing. And matter of fact, like right now in the South, we have a, a, a much higher than normal respiratory syncytial virus, an RSV outbreak. The symptoms are almost identical to any other URI, like the upper respiratory infection. But you're seeing very high prevalence right now. I know that for myself, if I came into work and I even had a cold, I would wear a mask just to make sure I don't you know, infect anyone else. And I think this is like, if, you, if I can't stay home because I had to come to work, because remember, I, you know, the whole Coast Guard is going to fall apart if I miss a day. <laughs> you know, that's what most people think. Can't, can't do the job if, if, if one person's not here. But if I, couldn't, if I couldn't stay home and I had to work here, I would want other people to feel protected from me not sneezing on them. Right. Yeah, no, that's that, that's great, and I think the prevalence of the you know the the seasonal flu is down somewhat because of all all the mask wearing. So yeah, not not you know mask wearing. If you if you feel like that that is a, important to you, by all means, you know please do wear your mask. And you talked about not you know not missing some work. A lot, most of the Coast Guard, most of the operational Coast Guard has continued to work, and they have not they have not missed a, a beat. And I want to thank everybody out there that has gotten the mission done and kept themselves safe and. You know, as a Coast Guard, we have continued to serve our nation extremely well throughout this pandemic. But for some that had the capability to telework and some people that we have told, hey, stay out of work, try to work from home, do that. It's we're going to start trying to bring people back now. I, I think, you know, we have enough vaccinations that we've, we've the workplace is a safe place to come work. Some folks may, though, they may have concerns about coming back. Do you have any ideas or suggestions or something you could you, you might tell people that are that have concerns about coming back to work? Absolutely. You know, I think that we are really trying to have incredibly open dialogue amongst employees of you know, every flavor and stripe um, and their supervisors. We want supervisors to be empathetic. And this is not a question of, you know, well, if the person has issues with child care or they have transportation issues that we can't accommodate. This is not even, you know, we don't have to jump to reasonable accommodations as in the sense of Americans with Disabilities Act. We're not trying to say it. We're just trying to be flexible with people's life and work situation right now. But that level of anxiety when you switch back to something you haven't been doing, it's kind of like how we heard the whole country had become awkward because we weren't in as many social settings. And so just learning how to engage with people again and feeling comfortable doing this, this is all part of, this is normal. I mean, for, for the adjustment we just went through, having lost 600,000 Americans, many people, their families were touched, their communities were touched. Um, and I, 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 my heart goes out for you. And I think that you know, people want to know that they're still able to protect themselves. But hopefully we can see that in, in our headquarters building, I know over 70% of the, the um, active duty workforce has been vaccinated here. We don't keep all the numbers for the civilians. We still have vaccine available if people need it right here. But this is one of our highest congregate settings, right? Mm -hmm. Because we've got over 3,000 people that yes. work here. Mm -hmm. Yet we haven't had any disease transmission person-to-person uh, -person for COVID. Our numbers are very, very low, even for people that get it in the community and then stay home. I mean, I think it's been, you know, maybe three dozen in the last six months. So we are we're definitely bring, driving the numbers down. And I th think all of our HVAC systems and our, our systems around um, cleaning have stayed in place. And we've perfected some of it. So hopefully people will come in and see that this isn't a scary place to work. Mm -hmm. Well, we've had almost a year to prepare 
for this return to the workplace. We've been, uh, you know, putting signs up, putting guidance out. So I can tell you here at headquarters, I'm very comfortable. I just came back from Cape Cod. Uh, they're doing a magnificent job at all the different units at Cape Cod and updating the workplace to keep people safe. And, and I, I know they're doing that all around the country. So I, I'm excited to I'm excited to get back to to normal. I, I, you know, we, we, we run the Coast Guard well. And I think our personal interactions, our social interactions are, are critical to the success of, of, of the Coast Guard getting so much work done with so few people. How about um, parents with kids and, you know, the kids going back to school and childcare? Do you, should parents be concerned about that? or? You well, know? I want to say that you know, one of the things, you know, you're proud of um, a lot of the work that the Coast Guard's done. I'm proud of a lot of the mission support we've done to make it so. Yes. From our child development centers who really didn't miss a beat, who were able to stay open. Now, they had to maybe have smaller classroom sizes. They had fewer teachers, possibly, but they are coming back full online right now. And I can tell you this is just a little sneak peek, but um, our amazing program director, Renee Podolik, she has been visiting the D1 and the, some, the D5 CDCs, the Child Development Centers, and she said, she told me, she said, you can't ask for better care. Nice. And that's the piece you can ask for a better facility, sure, but I can't. I get what I can't fix is if I had a broken system where the, the the caregivers were not truly invested in the children. That's a problem that's much harder to fix. She said you will not meet caregivers, and she's done this for decades of her life. Did it with the army that they know the kids, they know their personalities, not just their names. They are really invested in our children, and we have managed to keep even those close congregate settings functioning and working. So I think that that says a lot for how we've been able to take care of each other. But I think that, you know, there are going to be challenges. And every camp isn't open like it normally is in the summer. Every you know, family is different. Every family situation with their needs are different. So like I said, the, the key thing we want to stress in coming back to work is that we are very willing to look at people's individual circumstances. You know, if you find yourself not sleeping well, changes in how you've been eating, changes in how you've been um, drinking alcohol, you know, just, just basically feeling super anxious about this, I want to really encourage you to speak to a, a clinician, mm -hmm. speak to your primary care provider, look at CG support. We have a whole bunch, about a dozen new behavioral health providers, and they are available to folks in the military, but the EAP program is available to everyone. And we're not trying to make people more stressed out by this. I agree with you. Stronger Together isn't like a cliche we made up. That's actually how the Coast Guard functions. It is. It is. And we'll come back to those behavioral health technicians that you spoke about. Some folks that contracted COVID, we have, we had, my morning count, we have about 3,120, 3,120-ish uh, members that contracted COVID in the Coast Guard, maybe 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 it's closer to 3,200, but contracted COVID. Some of them might still be kind of feeling bad. Is there? Uh, can you talk to us about you know lingering effects of, of folks that might have contracted it? No, I, I think that's a really great uh, topic, actually. And we're going to host that, uh, I think, at the end of the month, the 30th, for Wellness Wednesday. Okay. We're going to talk about uh, post-COVID, like, long-hauler syndrome and some of the after-effects of having COVID because not everybody bounces back and is 100%. And these these uh, changes can be anything from just, I feel tired. I feel much more fatigued than I used to. I'm yeah. just not 100%. I used sure. to be able to run a, you know, a 440, and, and you know, and, the, and now I, I can't, can barely climb some stairs. Yeah. The brain fog people complain of, too, is not 
you're not making it up. That's all I need to tell you. And, and so we're, we're going to host a, a Wellness Wednesday at the end of this month. And then actually what I'd like to run for the Coast Guard is maybe a couple times a month a call-in support group for people so that they can hear and learn from each other what's been working and what hasn't been working. Because we don't exactly know they were looking at treatments now. I mean, I wish I could say something more definitive, but they're really looking at what is improving people's conditions depending on whether this is more musculoskeletal and and whether it's more just the general fatigue or it's the lack of clarity in thinking. So I think that that's an area of great study going forward. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, uh, that's good for supervisors to know, too, if they recognize some folks, some signs in their and their people uh, to be sure that they tune in for that Wellness Wednesday session. So, you know, during COVID, the medical community was really, really busy with screenings and, you know, just trying to manage this pandemic best they could. And, and a lot of folks let, you know, normal medical conditions or, or situations or issues that they might have had, they kind of just put them on the back burner. Maybe they couldn't get a medical, maybe they couldn't get an appointment or they couldn't get seen. Do you have uh, any advice for folks that, that may have had other health concerns aside from COVID uh, as they start to come back to the workplace, you know, get back and, and, and get after some of those issues that you postponed? Absolutely. I'll tell you, this is a big concern in public health because when you have a, a drop in people doing certain preventive maintenance uh, checks, things like, you know, mammograms, colonoscopies, things that you need to, to have routinely screened at certain ages in your life, it can really create a problem. We won't see those cancers this year. We'll see them picked up in the, in the coming years. So I really advise folks that this is the time to try to make appointments. We hopefully all have full health insurance and access to care. And if you're not having good access to care, please get back with my folks because we have health benefits advisors that can try to get you connected with the care that you need. This is, you know, there have been changes. Sometimes now they, they start colonoscopies even at 45, if people did not know that. It's, it's very important to look at your family history, and it's very important to be aware of certain signs. Um, and, and as I was saying before, even along that mental health spectrum, you don't need a diagnosis to go and look and to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. It's really better to have a chance to convey your feelings and emotions around what these changes have meant, how you've made it through this year. Because sometimes during a crisis, we're almost numb to ourselves and what we've experienced. And then post that death of a loved one or that, that you know, difficult, you know, uh, rescue that we've done, then you can be like, holy smokes, I nearly died, you know, or, or, or this <laughs> yeah. is how this was really frightening or but now you can take a pause, and it's it's reasonable that people have a lot of uh, just things that they're processing. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So kind of winding up on COVID, there's a couple things that I, I'm going to put you on the spot about a little bit here. First one is going to be FDA approval. Do you have any idea of when the FDA might approve one or all of these vaccines? Sure. So, I mean, the two primary ones that we have used, the um, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, I, I think are being looked at right now for FDA approval. And I, it's really important for me to say this to the listeners. It's not that they aren't they weren't working well even six months ago or you know a year ago to almost say, hey, we should just go with a, a, a straight approval for this. It's because of the pandemic they went with an emergency use authorization to get these out on the street to be able to vaccinate quickly. 
but they had met the criteria, the exact same criteria, to have an emergency use authorization as to have a full licensure. So it's not the FDA that looks at the waves of wand one day and says, okay, now you're fully approved. The pharmaceutical company has to come back and request that they change from an EUA to a fully licensed product. And whatever the shift in incentives could be, if I knew I was selling everything like hotcakes that I made off the shelf under an EUA, do I have, even have to go through that process? But for many reasons, I know that Pfizer has been looking at this, and I think that they'll probably have a, a licensed vaccine by the end of the summer. Okay, yeah. I was, for some reason in my mind, I was tracking September. But what, what would you say to some young folks that maybe um, are looking to start a family? Is there any? Do you have any concerns? I, I may know one Coastie who uh, may want to start a family in a not-too-distant future and is a little reluctant to get the vaccine because of fears of what you know the unknown. Sure, sure. Well, I, what I can tell you is that we've never had any vaccines ever m interfere with fertility. So it's not going to make a person not fertile. It's not going to impact your ability to have children. What I can tell you, though, is that we have seen in the first year before a vaccine, we saw of the 86,000 pregnant women that that got COVID, 17.5% were hospitalized. Oh, wow. So what we see is a really high risk and almost one in five chance of being hospitalized if you have COVID because you have a hyperinflammatory state, you get an infection and you don't fare well, nor does the baby. So we also have now over 100,000 women that have been vaccinated during pregnancy and that their pregnancies have been fine. That's good. That's good to know. I, I was, uh, I had heard a, a something about of the thirty-five thousand test. You know, of, of the women that were part. Of, you know, of the, the oh, people the in, the, in the study. Mm -hmm. They got pregnant while they were in the study, and and they were fine. So and they were fine too. Yeah. Yes. So I, I uh, thank you for that. And then, you know, what I I've put out to uh, the workforce uh, through an email was that once the vaccine is. FDA approved, I, my recommendation to the commandant would be to make it mandatory. What, what would your recommendation? Well, I definitely think that nationally we'll look at certain people in certain job categories like we have now. Um, people in healthcare, they cannot risk spreading disease to patients in hospitals. So the same way that hospital systems mandate flu vaccine or the way that the Coast Guard says, we're in a lot of congregate settings you have to do this. And, and people have to be vaccinated for certain additional things in our child development centers, even if they're civilian in our in our clinics. So I can definitely see you know, moving that direction in certain areas nationally. And for the military, probably because we do have a lot of opportunities to work in congregate small settings on ships. You know, you don't have to be in a congregate setting. You don't have to be at Cape May to be in a congregate setting. Yeah. There's plenty of you know, barracks environments. Sure that it makes sense to protect the workforce. And this is definitely a mode of, like you said, PPE. I, you know, the seasonal flu vaccine's mandatory. This, this seems to me that this would be along those same lines. And I do want to say, though, having talked to the commandant, that we won't step out. We will not, the Coast Guard will not be, will not just do go out on our own and, and do anything. We will go in conjunction with uh, the other services and, and we would not make that decision unilaterally as a, as a Coast Guard. I appreciate that. If you know, I, um, you know, I, we could talk. Uh, there's probably a dozen questions that 
people would want asked that I haven't that I didn't think of or, or, or don't have time to ask you. If folks have uh, more questions about the vaccine or about COVID or about the, you know anything to do with uh, with COVID nineteen, is there a place they should go? Would you recommend? Absolutely. And you know, the first thing I want to say, if you're a person who has questions, I mean, congratulate yourself because you're an informed consumer of healthcare. If you have questions, you should, having questions is a good thing. So that's the first thing I'd like to say. And we have um, an outbreak questions um, website that the box is emptied and, and answered every day. I know that uh, Captain Shane Steiner does that for me. But I would say seek authoritative sources of information, whether it's from the Coast Guard clinics, whether it's from the, the Centers for Disease Control, the Food and Drug Administration, the Defense Health Agency websites. There's a lot of good information about the safety, effectiveness, and availability of these vaccines. And your individual healthcare provider or anyone on my staff will be able to have specific guidance for you looking at your own medical history and your health. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I apologize to all the listeners if I didn't ask the question that was that I, you say, why didn't he ask this question? I apologize. Uh, uh, there's probably a lot of them that I didn't ask. So moving on, I was, um, you know, really impressed. I got a, an email in my inbox and it said, sign up for telehealth. And I went through and, and, and filled out all the information and signed up for telehealth. I'm not sure, you know, so what, what do I, what's next? What do I do? What, what happens next with so that? So it's great that you did that. So I'll tell you right now, over 30,000 people in the Coast Guard have, have, have accounts. And I'd say about a, th um, a third of them have activated their accounts. But it's very helpful to have an activated telehealth account. Now, we call the, our telehealth platform Coast Guard Care Anywhere, okay, right? Yeah. Because that's my vision for Coasties. No matter where you are. You can be a cadet, not at the academy this summer, needing health care, and you now have a way to communicate with the doc back at the, uh, at the academy because that's been your physician. You have a secure platform that you can have a telehealth visit. There's 350 corpsmen in the, in the Coast Guard that are schedulers, so we have a way to schedule appointments for our providers. And a telehealth visit really isn't very different from an in-person visit. It just may take you a lot less time. You can move your, you won't be told, call back a Monday morning and we'll see if we can get you in 45 days from now because, <laughs> because you can get your, your questions answered. I mean, most of our population are young and healthy and they have a question, a, a concern. I'd rather them not wait two months to hear the answer to it because it they might feel it's just getting worse when in reality, I, I could give you, you know, three pieces of good advice to how to uh, uh, you know, ameliorate the situation sure. right now. And I want people to be able to access care, not be turned away to urgent care or emergency departments when they haven't been bitten by a dog. They don't have a foreign body in their eye. Those are things you need to go to the emergency department for or you know, urgent care to have that addressed. Otherwise, we should be taking care of all of our people. And telehealth will allow us to give the same quality care to the person in Valdez who doesn't have a doctor right now because there's no physicians up there or the person in Guam or the person in Puerto Rico who just maybe you need a specialist consult. I can link in one of our specialists. We have 50 auxiliarists that work with us. Nice. I know. Isn't that amazing? 50 yeah. doctors that give a minimum of two days a month. Wow. That's what the requirement is for our physician auxiliarist, 16 hours a month. So they are gastroenterologists, they're cardiologists, they're orthopedists. 
and they want to engage with our clinicians and and you know, we have a three-way call where they look at your your problem too and say yes you know this could probably this might have to that bone might need to be you looking at these x-rays with you re-splinted you know, re, re, re-broken and put back together because it didn't heal correctly wow. but you can get a second opinion even ah. so i want to facilitate people having the care that they need when they need it and that's that means i mean my dream is having some saturday and sunday and evening hours because i want to meet you where you need the care not you know at the limited hours that we might have at a clinic that's too far for you to get to if you're a reservist let's say and or maybe you're in the white space nice so I put the link to it in my favorites, and then I just click on that link. You know, I can set you go in and sign in, and okay. Did good. you did you sign up for to have a particular physician? I don't know because that's remember. what you, you also pick a doctor. But think about this as, as we're rolling out on a separate but related subject. We're rolling out the electronic health record. Yeah, we know that a third of the Coast Guard is going to go live at the end of August. That's pack area. Wouldn't it be helpful if we could on the land side? help take some of their appointments that are, I needed another refill of my dandruff shampoo. I, you know, this is a concern or question I have. Don't, the, as the clinic's trying to learn the EHR, they're going to be a lot slower in how many people they, they can actually see. But if we can pull people out that don't need to be physically seen right then and have a visit with them using the other two thirds of the physicians in the Coast Guard and medical officers in the Coast Guard, that'd be great. Yeah, can I shift my record to pack area so I can? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> no, that's a, the 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 medic, the electronic health record. I am just you know it's going to help the corpsman, it's going to help the doctors, going to help the members. I can remember going to see a specialist, and then I would get some paperwork back from the specialist. I'd take it back to the ship. I'd throw it in my locker, and I'd chase it around my locker for a while. It would get stepped on and bent and all other and then coffee spilled on yeah, it. Yeah, and then finally I would. <laughs> Hand it to the corpsman and go, hey, I'm sorry, can you put this in my health record? And, you know, so I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the electronic health record. I wish I was, I don't, I'm afraid I'll be retired before I really get to enjoy the benefits of it, but I'm glad the future of the Coast Guard is going to, because it's the VA uses it and DOD, right? Correct. So all, the, all of the Defense Health Agency or the DOD MTFs would be using this. Uh, the VA will be using this same record. And then we have a lot of arrangements with the big. Uh, insurers like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Kaiser, um, health information exchange will be will flow in and out, so you won't even be the person having to bring the pieces of paper oh, back. Right, yeah. I was never that good at that. That either. was bad. For that. <laughs> I know there's things that didn't make it in my medical record because I there's probably still in a locker somewhere. So, in in we we talked about the the, the mental health providers. Uh, as the commandant and I travel around, that was something that we heard a lot was the need for uh, mental health care and. You know, when I was, you know, first class chief, you didn't, you didn't, you, you, you just kind of toughed it out. You, 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 for some reason, and I don't know really know why, you just wasn't, you just wasn't cool to ask for mental health. It just, uh, you know, it was, I don't know, sign of weakness. I don't know. But now, thank goodness, it's a much, much more comfortable conversation to have with somebody to say, you know, the the joy of life is kind of gone. I'm just not really happy coming to work today, and. I'm not sure why I'm even here, and uh, and then somebody says, "Well, that's not good. Let's 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 get you let's get that fixed. You know, let's get some joy back in the life." I'm I I got to tell you, I I can't thank you enough. There's not enough appreciation from me to you for your hard work and effort getting these 
I'm not don't know the proper term, but these people mm-hmm. uh, in place, and uh, and and I know we're going to build out a program that's really going to help our folks be re- more, much more resilient in terms of being able to handle stressful situations. Well, you're absolutely right, Master Chief. I will say that that this is, you know, to me a cornerstone because we've looked at our our mental health data, which showed that that you know we'd had. You know, almost 200,000 visits for mental health in the five preceding years. That's before COVID. Okay, so this is a lot of people needing and seeking mental health care. You're going to need to access it one way or the other. But the problem in this country is that there is a dearth of licensed social workers, of psychologists, of people that you can actually get an appointment with. So we wanted to make it easier and more seamless for the members to be connected with someone that was qualified to help them. And the whole country last year, actually during COVID, went to telehealth for behavioral medicine. So having the telehealth system set up, some of my biggest champions of that now are our regional behavioral health providers. So we have all the billets filled. We're interviewing now for Juno, and and then we're looking for one more for Kodiak. But we have everywhere but Juno and Kodiak filled. But like I said, two people were interviewing for Juno this month. So I, I'm very optimistic about that. And all the providers that we've had, they're PHS officers, so they're uniformed. They're 24-7, just like you are. And they are all from the other services. So they're PHS officers that were billeted to the Air Force or the Navy or the Army. Nice. So they really understand fit, fitness for duty in a military environment. And that's, you know, they're going to help us when people do need a medical board, they're also qualified to help assess and write that. But hopefully we get them far enough upstream that you can really preserve and save the person's career, their family, not to mention just their life. I mean, that, of course, is is, is the end result. You know, and and this really is going to help our units because, you know, a couple, uh, there were a couple times when I had a shipmate that was not doing well. They just, they, they, I could see it. They just they they weren't happy. Short of trying to tell jokes and pep them, you know, give them a pep talk and cheer them up. That's about the, the the my strength in terms of mental health help. And so now having somebody dedicated that I that the units can reach out to to say, okay, I I don't have to try to solve this problem myself. I've got some help. I just huge huge help to the commands. And I I you deserve personal credit for that. I'm I'm. I'm just so thankful for well, it. Thank, thank you. you, Master Chief Vanderhead. I had a lot of support from senior leadership on this, and I, I feel really fortunate. I mean, one of the things I think you're, you're right, the units will do things like a critical incident team-like you know, involvement, but I don't even know that that's the right avenue to take. Do you know why? Because it makes your condition. You had a bad day. And I'm going to be like calling all these people in on the on the on the command center phone, and every E7 and above, every O4 and above is going to talk about. I don't know. Vanderhey didn't look so good. How are things going with his wife? Like I don't think people need to hear all of that. Yeah. Let's start with like you would with the threat management unit sure. or with the behavioral health provider. Uh-huh. Let them sort it out and come back to the commands and say, okay, here's the level of intervention we need right now. Okay. Because that's that's a really it's a a little bit of a cultural change because everyone thought. We'll put our big arms around them and we'll hold them and they'll be fine. But I think letting the professionals have a more private engagement with yeah. people is usually how most humans would want their medical, you know, their personal lives discussed. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, that's one of the biggest things that people have was they felt like they were a burden 
and then when you do something like that now they feel like they're a real burden like oh gosh i'm burdening everybody so that's 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 brilliant then you know just kind of wrapping this up a little bit I'm, I'm, i'd like to anything that we might have missed or anything that you wanted to share but but my last kind of question to you is i know you because i work with you a lot and i know your vision and i love your vision of of the future of coast guard medical if if we if you could if you had a magic wand and you could make coast guard medical exactly what you would want it to be what what's your vision of how, how because I could tell you all the listeners here you've never met a more persuasive never take no I'm gonna find a way person than Admiral Dana Thomas she is absolutely incredible and it, when she sets her mind to something she's gonna get it done so that being said I would like to know what your vision is uh, for Coast Guard Medical. Well, you're asking me at a great time right now because you know sometimes a GAO audit is 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 a, is a curse, but other times it's a blessing. Uh-huh. So right now we have an external auditing uh, going on to figure out what's the, what are the needs of Coast Guard Medical. How are we meeting people's access to care needs? How are our facilities capable of of caring for our personnel? And I will tell you, having worked very closely with uh, Lieutenant General Place these last couple of years. We're in a state of transformation. Even the Defense Health Agency, they realized, wow, we had this big drawdown. We said we're going to push a lot of care out into the civilian sector, our military people, their families. And then COVID hit. And again, you go from saying, well, we can deal with everything in a just-in-time manner to realizing you need some just-in-case providers. Mm -hmm. You need some just-in-case medical care because those physicians in the white space weren't always, they just closed their doors. They just stopped practicing. There wasn't enough PPE. Or healthcare systems closed down because they didn't make enough money. Because you don't make money on COVID, you make money on elective procedures. Mm. You know, people coming in and doing preventive things and whatnot. But it's a, we're at a very interesting crosswalk. So we've stood up a working group. We've chartered it by DCMS to really assess what are our needs and how can we best take care of ourselves. It's not that we won't always rely and use, you know, lean on our brothers and sisters in the DOD because we do a very specific type of medicine. We do operational medicine. My job is to make sure you're fit for duty tomorrow, today, you know, and, and next week. But it's also the primary care that goes with that. What I'm trying to look at is where are the places where we might need, really find ourselves needing to expand that to our old model, which was we also enrolled the families because there isn't any care in some of the places we are for those families. Sure. And I don't like that. I don't, I don't rest well at night knowing that I'm not meeting, not a benefit, but a congressional mandate to take care of you and your family members. So I think that this is really, we will have, this time next year, I have a much clearer picture. Is it additional providers? Because right now, if you rain down more docks on me, I don't have the space to put them. Uh-huh. You even know what our facilities look like. Yeah. They're very small. Yeah. I need to be thinking about this as how do you build this out so it's really best return on investment. We're available to people 24-7 that need our um, consultation and care, just like the flight surgeons are for the maritime calls. Or for, you know, is, it, is, it, is it worth it to go out on that mission today? We need to be there to help people medically. And I think that you know, we'll, we'll see some more dental and medical specialists are – not easy to find. In this country, we have a shortage. So owning some for ourselves is what makes sense. I, 
A few people might know this, but I, I, will, I, will, I will tout it right now. Lieutenant Elise Bobchinsky was accepted to Uniform Services University. Oh, fantastic. And she's one of our you know, Coast Guard lieutenants. We're looking at how best to send her. Does she go as a PHS officer wearing a Coast Guard uniform for the next few years? Does she go in, in, as, a, as a Coastie? You know, we just, we're making choices like that right now. So it's a very exciting time to look at how organic care in Coast Guard medicine, you know, in the future will look. I've had uh, several HSs and non-HSs, even petty officers, reach out. And uh, I think there's a CHAMP program or something like that that DOD has. And uh, it's through Uniform Services University. For those of you on, that don't know, that is the military medical school. Uh, and... You know, I know we have we have folks who would sign up in a minute to to represent the Coast Guard at med school and then come back and be Coast Guard doctors and they would go where the, where their orders said for them to go and that's uh, that that would to me that would be a dream come true is to have to be able to have a program where we could send some some of our young bright folks who want to be doctors and want to be Coast Guard doctors to Uniform Service University? Well, the dean of the medical school there has already promised me two seats a year. Nice! I know. So, so and, and he definitely was talking to me about our enlisted folks using that program, kind of a, a green to gold, as yes. they would say, program to get ready for medical school. So yeah. I'm interested in exploring both of those. Awesome. I'll help, uh, I'll help in any way that I can. Super. Uh, yeah. Um, well, Admiral, thank you very much for your time today. If there's uh, any parting words, anything you want to uh, share with anybody, that share with the, the, the listeners, uh, um, you know, please you know, let, let us know what's on your mind. I just want to say to everyone that's listening to this, you know, congratulations again on making it through a very, very difficult year. Um, we, we've, we've grown stronger, I do believe, had our metal tested during this year. It's something that you know most people never thought they would face, right? If I had told you three years ago you're going to live in a year where there's no school for your kids to go to, like their yeah. normalization of school and the things that they learn there is going to be in your home. You'll be the best restaurant on the block because you'll be the only restaurant on the block. <laughs> you'll, you'll be the school teacher and the coastie. You'll be doing all of it. That's really taxing. So I just want to say congratulations. You know we. We are still, you know, I want to I proudly say we have lost no uniform members to this disease. Um, we have lost four civilians, and each one is, is you know, a, loss, a tremendous loss for their families. Right. I want to see no more death like that. I, I pray that people do take us up on further information on the vaccine, opportunities to get vaccinated, because come fall, we'll be in the same environment that we were last year where things get a little more closed in and you have to be a little bit more worried. Sure. So I, 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 all the best to all of your listeners, our listeners, the Coast Guard. Mm. I've never been more proud to be in the service. Thank you. I'm proud to serve with you, Admiral. Chief, I'll turn it back over well, to you. We're done. That was great. Thank you both for, for that great conversation. All right. All right. Thanks. Awesome.